I'm not governed by the fear of what other people say. You've got to open your heart. Well, number one, he's one of the elite offensive players in the game. What is leadership like in today's football world? Welcome to another edition of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. I am Daily News columnist David Murphy. I will be joined shortly, momentarily even, by Mr. Michael Sielski of the Philadelphia Inquirer. He will be coming to you and me and Jonathan Tannenwald live from the Novacare Complex where we will break down the first few days of uh, full contact uh, full contact tackle football. But first, 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 we've got a busy man on the other line, Matt Breen, Matthew Breen. Uh, you may know him from such hits as this is how a Northeast Philadelphian pronounces water. Um, he's, <laughs> he is a spoken word artist and he is a Phillies beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, and last night he was treated to uh, an epic vintage display of, of Balk and Bob Davidson. Um, eject- you, know, you, you tell us what happened, Matt Breen, because I, I, this was the most Bob Davidson headline I'd ever seen in my entire life. But, but go ahead. I got a question for you to start this. The stupid hey, people. Dave, it's really great to be here, by the way. Yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks, thanks Matt. The, the stupid people like me who don't know the names of every umpire in baseball know, should now know that Bob Davidson was the home plate umpire last night, right? Right. So anyway, what happened, Matt? So in the middle of an at-bat, it was like, I think two pitches were thrown. Like, it wasn't, you know, there was no break in the play. So he, he called. <laughs> that's the best, pa- that's the best part of the story, by the this way. This guy's yelling. He walks away from home plate. I'm thinking he's going to yell at the Giants' dugout. You know, maybe they're arguing balls and strikes. But he points over the dugout, and he tells some fan, says something, and, you know, tosses a fan from the game. And a little bit later, security guards and cops came down, and they escorted this guy out. And the Phillies said he wasn't formally tossed, but he left on his own. There's just so many. uh, there's so many different. But I mean, he was escorted out. There are so many different levels to this inane story, which is why I had to bring you in here, because um, <laughs> it's just it's great. <laughs> First of all, is he a neighbor of yours? Because I, I just I assume that he lives near you. No. So the guy was make. This, I mean, this sounds like a, this sounds like this sounds like Frankfurt Avenue's finest right here. It is not, and I that's that's below where I'm. I'm the former <laughs> East. Oh, you're. I'm, cl- with, oh, I'm, okay. I'm with Breen on this because half the people I know assumed he was from Delco. Well, I mean, Delco's pretty well, much did, like the lower northeast. He said uh, he said Upper Darby. That was one. All I see, I I'm, I'm had my head down the press box typing something. I hear this guy yelling. It was so loud that I thought he was in the Hall of Fame club. Oh, so you heard the fan? You heard the fan yell. Stuck in Upper Darby, and I'm like, <laughs> why is someone saying Upper Darby sucks? But I, and I think he's because people yell all the time from the Hall of Fame club. So I figure he's a Hall of Fame club guy. And then when I put my head up, that's when the game stopped, and he goes and tosses him. And then we find out later that he mentioned the street that happens to be in Upper Darby. So I did hear correctly that he did say Upper Darby. So he was. But upper I, I don't know where he's from. All right. Well, that's not a, that's another non-surprising element of the story. Uh, upper Darby, who's superintendent, by the way, is apparently MIA. Do you read that? Cool superintendent. Do you read that was yeah, in your paper? That. that was that was in your paper this morning. Um, was that down in your story or Nick Carter's story? Uh, one newsroom, Matt Breen. I don't know if you've read the memos. Yeah, no. I wasn't sure of who the whatever. We're it's all one. Story. I read it last night on Philly.com. Yeah, we're all. It's like we're all. It's we are one big humanity. One big newsroom of humanity here. So anyway, so exactly. let me, let me make sure. I'm, I'm going to make sure I have this straight. Balk and Bob Davidson, who, if 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 for those who are not up to up to date and uh, and abreast of their umpire biographical sketches, Balk and Bob David Balk. Balking Bob Davidson 
has a reputation as a guy who every now and then um, needs to get his face on camera a little bit, which is why he calls a lot of box. At least that's the, that's like the inside baseball kind of like chuckle, chuckle, chuckle when you hear Bob, da- Bob Davidson's name. So he, I think he ejected a fan in 2010 from a Milwaukee Brewers yeah, he game. Did. So this is what inning was this? The fifth or sixth inning, I think. The sixth and you're sitting, and now, and now to paint a picture for people, Matt Breen is sitting in the press box, which is uh, in between the upper deck and the lower seating bowl. Um, it's where the Hall of Fame club and all the luxury suites are. Essentially, it's that it's that no man's land, that demilitarized zone of of, of suites and press boxes where the are you the broadcasters that, are, are you saying that Jim Salisbury is not sufficiently militarized? No. Um, so it's so anyway, that's where Matt Breen is, and and. The press box essentially looks out. You're you're right. You're essentially like another row of seating above the Hall of Fame club, so you can hear pretty much everything that goes on. So now, Matt Breen, you're telling me that you heard this fan yelling before he was ejected, and you're sure it was the same fan. Oh, it definitely was, and it's real. Quiet. And what was he yelling? And what was he yelling? There's not crazy attendance anymore, but if a guy's that loud and the quiet, dead part of the game, you can hear him. And as you know, a former usher at the ballpark. <laughs> I, I would not have let this go in my session back in 2009. This would he, not. He would have been escorted out. This would not have flown in Matt Breen's. Matt Breen's. What, what nah. section were you? Back in my career as an usher, this guy would not have lasted. And your father's career as an usher. What's that? Was your, was your father have let him go? Uh, my dad was in right field last night. I don't think I didn't talk to him about it yet, but I'm sure he would not have let this happen. Oh, so your dad is still an usher. My dad's still an usher. So oh, we're talking we were about, wrote about it on Father's my Day. My dad's an usher since 07. I got on there in 09, and my dad, I got out in 12 when I graduated, and my dad's still there. Man, I, how did I not know all this? So you've pumped gas, you've ushered. You, you, you were like... You, I you grew all, up, You grew up if, in like a little bubble. If the business ever goes out, I am well taken care of. I can go back pumping gas. I can scoop water ice. Did you grow up in the 1950s? Yes. Like... You sound like a Norman Rockwell portrait. <laughs> Didn't you write about it on Father's Day or something like that? No, nah, I just sent a tweet out, <laughs> which is pretty much writing about it nowadays. I mean, that's pretty much a memoir in the in these yeah, in these times. Might as well. So this would not have this would not have characters. What section were you in when when you were uh, in in the 09? You rotate every ten day every ten games, but in two thousand nine, I had the perfect season. I made it every single game. Wow. And uh, and the playoffs. I think I saw the thirty and for thirty going, on it. I was at Temple still. So what if I told you one usher from Northeast Philadelphia for real could pitch a perfect season? Brad Woods was what forty eight for forty eight, and Matt Breen was eighty one for eighty one. Man, you are plus two concerts every time. Uh, it's like every time in the playoffs. Every time we talk, it's like another another level of you opens up to me. <laughs> You're like an onion. You're just like this big. <laughs> Enigmatic, beautiful. This is onion. a funny um, Bob Davis story, real quick though. Okay, go ahead. Somebody told me this last night in the press box. Because I mean, I, I've only been covering the team for two years. I don't know. I know the name Bob Davis, and I know the nickname Balkan, but I don't know his, his you know long history. And uh, somebody told me that in the early '90s, the game in spring training it got out of hand, and I think there was a maybe the dugouts cleared or whatever happened. And Darren Dolan after the game said, "You know what?" say about Bob Davidson, he's the kind of guy you go to his house for dinner and he's got pictures of himself all over the wall. <laughs> not pictures of himself, just pictures of himself. <laughs> I mean, not pictures of his family, just pictures of himself. That's awesome. I, we, so I, that fits the, I think the everybody everybody out there in podcast listener land knows a couple people probably who, who like if, if you were to pick one of your friends, everyone's got a friend where you, you, you imagine uh, 
you know, like if you walked into their house and you saw portraits of themselves hanging up, you wouldn't be surprised. Like I, I might be exactly. that. I actually might be that friend to a lot of friends, but <laughs> I, 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 just, picture, I unmuted my microphone and then decided to not say anything. Dave, you're welcome. I have pictures of Matt Breen hanging up. Yeah. So anyway, so so did you talk to him? Now, now did the did the did the rest of the stadium get behind Bob Davidson, or did they rally behind the fan? They got behind Bob Davidson. I mean, Bob Davidson was right to throw this guy out. The guy was. What was he yelling? You're a clown if you're attacking like that at a baseball game. Was there a profit? First of all, hold on a minute. You're you're a clown if you if you yell at any baseball game for a team that's twenty games under five hundred. You're a clown. It's like the guys. It's like the guys. And no offense, but this is this is on our list of. This is this is my list of stuff you don't do at a ballpark as an adult, as a grown man. You don't bring your baseball glove unless you got a kid. You know, like if you got a kid, all bets mm-hmm. are off. But you, you, the number one thing is you don't clamor for autographs um, if you're yeah. if you're a full grown man. You do not ask for another full grown man's signature unless it's for um, you know a specific purpose, charity, something like that, or a kid. And, and you do not uh, you do not uh, tackle other people for foul balls. I think that's that's a uh, like that's embarrassing to me when you see these adults like running down the concourse yeah. for. I mean, you definitely catch it, but like as soon as the ball bounces and hits the ground, like the adult thing to do is like let the kids go chase it. You know, some of these guys are just. You know, you see that when you go to games, they're, they're they want to be the show, and you know they want the section to be laughing, and they're the funny guys. Yeah, like shut up, dork. <laughs> just, yeah. do, do me a favor, Matt. If you're gonna if you're gonna recite the. Uh, Recite what the guy said on air. I don't have a bleep button, so be a little. But, all right, yeah. So here's the thing. Um, uh, I he need to know what I need to know what he, he said because like I didn't. Innuendo. Yeah. Oh, he made a six. So what? But I mean, can we? Can you give me a little? Because I was trying to figure out what it, it could possibly be. Like, was he talking about yeah, something like your? So that's what. So we get it from Kevin Cooney was the pool reporter. He went and talked to Bob Davis, and Bob Davis tells him what he said. And uh, I, I, I wasn't sure if it's you know too foul to put it out there or not so i called our copy desk and they said the way you handled it was fine it's just caught saying the sexual innuendo so what now let's but he said he said you suck you know you guys suck blah 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 now did he I say you suck did he was there an o- hang on hang on hang on was there an object after the suck like was it you suck something no or, no okay. no it, there was no there was no, like a, a curse or a foul word wasn't said okay he's like you suck he just he kept yelling so loud that you know you suck or you know Say Matt, say it's Matt and Baumgartner batting. I don't, right. I don't know who it was. Baumgartner, you suck. I have property on 69th Street, and you can come over and suck. See, that's <laughs> like. First of all, that's way know. too. Com- that is way. I'm doing an expletive rating for that's this podcast. That is way too complicated of a heckle. Yeah, it's like. All right, that's pretty clever. If, you, if I was Madison Gar- Bumgar, I'd just turn around and be like, dude, you, and, live, in, you live in Upper Darby. And the, the dumb thing is, he <laughs> says he lives on 69th Street, and he's Hold probably it. factually correct. No offense, I love Upper Darby. Uh, my friend Ray Shea, his, his grandfather was the longtime mayor of Upper Darby. Fun fact. Oh, yeah? Fun fact. Did you know Upper How Darby? Here's, here's another. I was actually researching Upper Darby for an unrelated uh, factoid a couple days ago. Did you know Upper Darby was originally... Purchase. Actually, no. This is Overbrook. Forget about it. I'm completely wrong. Uh-huh. I was thinking about Overbrook Farms. Anyway, make uh, it stop, Matt Breen. Uh, one more thing. Trade deadline. What did you think of the Phillies? What they did? did I mean, what, did it make sense to to keep Hellickson if no one was going to give you anything? I mean, yeah, I thought it was uh, unconventional, definitely for sure. Um, you know, that's. You, I, I said this to someone this morning. The conventional baseball wisdom is you 
trade helps him, and you get whatever you get for him. If it's you know two guys like you got for Ben Revere last year, Jimmy Cordero and uh, Alberto Torado, like two young arms, and all right, that's what you get. But the Phillies said, no, we're going to hold out. You're going to either give us one of your top five prospects or we'll just go to the offseason and we'll dare you to sign them, and then we're going to take a first-round pick, an extra first-round pick. So I think it was fine to do what they did, but it just runs the risk of Jeremy Hellison signing $17 million contract this offseason. Yeah. Phillies, which I really wouldn't be surprised. But, I mean, it's, if that's the worst-case scenario, then you can trade on the next headline. Exactly. I'm just afraid that. Now you're blocking a spot next year from Jake Thompson, but I think they're going to get creative in the offseason and trade one of these guys, flip like a Vince Velasquez, and about, or maybe uh, you know, a Zach, get more, maybe a Zach Eflin, more for him. Yeah, I mean it could be anybody. I know you don't want to even ponder that possibility. <laughs> Never. How's your boy Zachy doing? Good. I mean he got lit up last night after uh, he got he got pinched on a strike call third strike call that would end the fifth and then after that he gave up five runs mm. you know what but i mean he's, he bounced back from that toronto start he looked pretty good 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 what about jake thompson when he's when's he coming up uh now i mean he's ready he's been lights out in lehigh valley did they call him up i, might, um, I mean they might have even called him up I no they really. haven't called right. him up i'm just saying they, they he could, could be called off he could be called off tomorrow but i love I think jake thompson. they're gonna wait till september Rosters expand. They probably go to a six-man rotation for the final few weeks of the season. And the same with Nick Williams. I don't know if Crawford will be up or not, but I think those two guys will definitely be up. All right. Well, we're going to call Mike Sealski because he's been waiting by the phone at the Novaker Complex. But uh, thank you, cool. Matt. You've, uh, Good you, talking to you guys. You know what? It was a it was it was a pleasure as always. All right. So let's go down to Mike Sealski now. Mike, um, first of all, say hello to the listeners so they know that you're here. Hello, listeners. Wow. It wasn't. It wasn't weird pitch a weird tonal deviation from your I, normal I, I went barry gibb on that one i took it up a couple octaves uh yes i'm you know you haven't dropped you have not dropped a uh a pop culture reference an ancient pop culture reference on us in a while so i'm glad you know, I'm glad you you're know back. that's one that that people should know if for no other reason than you know the jimmy fallon justin timberlake barry gibb talk show saturday night live skits i mean that's relatively recent am i wrong I don't know. Is Barry Gibb one of the Bee Gees? Yeah, of course. Okay. Well, I mean, Barry Goldwater is not one of the Bee Gees, and his <laughs> initials are PG. No. So, um, no, he was not. So we just talked to Matt Breen about uh, balking Bob Davidson's triumphant return to the uh, Sports Center highlight reel last night when he kicked out a uh, a fan. My question, and again, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we have a ton of Eagles stuff to talk about, but. Is that really Bob Davidson's place? I mean, Matt Breen, we found out, was an usher, actually, for three seasons. Um, and he, mm-hmm. said, he said that, that the behavior that the fan was exhibiting uh, that drew his ejection from the umpire uh, would not have flown in his section. Matt Breen would have been on top of that. But my question is, why not let the people who are supposed to be on top of that be on top of that? And how about Bob Davidson, you know, call balls and strikes? Yeah, first of all, um, it speaks to how it speaks to the atmosphere and environment at the ballpark last night that Bob Davidson could hear this going on. Uh, unless this guy had a megaphone or, you know, um, a microphone of some kind. Um, I don't know if yeah. you've been there in a while. It's awfully quiet, Mike. No, I know. That's my point. That's yeah. my point is, you know, if he could hear this, that says a lot about what the atmosphere at Citizens Bank Park is like. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, let it alone. You know, I, I have a big issue with... Um, in a way, like people who don't know their roles and their jobs and kind of step out of that. Um, 
you know, and, and Bob Davidson has always kind of struck me as this guy who, you know, I'm going to call all the box, and now I'm going to make sure that the fans are behaving in the right way, and he's just seems like a busybody. Like, you know, mind your own business, call balls and strikes, you know, watch to make sure the catcher isn't obstructing home plate on a play at the plate, and, and collect your paycheck and go home. I agree. We're, we're in complete agreement on this. Uh, my only other Phillies question for you is, regards the trade deadline, and I asked this to Matt Breen. There's a school of thought out there that says, uh, you know, Jeremy Hellickson is, is essentially a sunk cost. Anything you get for him um, is better than him just having his contract expire on your watch. Why not trade him? Do you agree with that or do you not agree with that? Um, I don't think I do agree with that. I do think while you can overstate the impact of the veteran presence in the rotation in the clubhouse. Um, I do think it, it's helpful to have a guy who's pitching pretty well, uh, stay in the rotation, uh, a guy who is not necessarily, you know, old enough that he is at risk of collapsing at any moment. And Ellickson isn't that, um, you know, and yeah, are you assuming some risk that he's going to stay healthy and, you know, if he's back next season, if he accepts the tender offer at $17 million or whatever the case may be, that, uh, that he's back pitching in the rotation next year, okay, then maybe you trade him next year. Um, you know, I, it did not crush me uh, or cause me to question Matt Klintak's sanity that he didn't trade Jeremy Hellickson uh, because I'm not convinced that what he was going to get for Hellickson was so desirable that not trading Hellickson uh, was a huge mistake. Yeah, and I agree. I think that there's a, and I, I actually think that there's like some some macro game macroeconomic game theory in play here, where, um, you know, from a long term perspective, you don't want to be the guy at the poker table that's, you know, folding, on the slightest right, on the slightest uh, on the slightest raise, and you know if if you have to fold a, a a decent pair every once in a while to tell people or if you have to stay in on a decent pair every once in a while to to tell people that you will stay in i think it's kind of the same philosophy where you know if if at least teams now know that the phillies will not just be giving jeremy hellickson or similar players away in the future um and i think that's one thing that ruben amaro jr did um well in his last year and it drew some criticism uh, at the one train deadline when he did not part with some of these players uh, but, you know, down the line, I think it helped uh, tell the Texas Rangers of the world, um, the Los Angeles Dodgers of the world, that he was not going to simply give away his players because of them being a sunk cost. You know, I think that so I think I think from a strategic standpoint and from a gamesmanship standpoint, this, you know, perhaps the, uh, you know, the psychological benefit outweighed the whatever marginal um personnel benefit they could have reaped by pulling the trigger yeah that's true and look you know there's still enough uh it's not as if the rest of the rotation as young as it is is set in stone for the next five years and if you don't move jeremy hellickson then there's no chance jay thompson gets in there or anybody else might establish himself i mean look aaron nola has really yet to kind of pull out of the funk that he's in you know this alaskas has an injury history you know, there are still enough questions there that you're not in a position where you can just say, oh, okay, well, Jeremy Hellickson is 29, and therefore he's not part of our future, and so we just willy-nilly kind of move on from him. You know, there's still enough questions to be answered there, 
that if you keep Jeremy Hellickson, it may not turn out to be the worst thing in the world. Well, I mean, the one thing, I mean, the one thing is they, in order to keep him, they will have to, uh, I mean, he's, he's, he will be a free agent at the end of the year. Um, so in order to keep him, they will have to. And I think what Matt Breen alluded to was, was the thought that they might uh, tender him. Um, right. A qualifying offer, which would then kind of force teams into either. Uh, yeah, actually, I'm not even sure how the new setup works. I don't think teams have to necessarily. I don't know that teams have to sacrifice a draft pick anymore. Um, actually, I don't know. They would get it. The Phillies would get the qualifying. The Phillies would get a pick. Uh, they would, they would get the, the pick, yeah. But I think, yeah, teams still do have to. I, I don't think. I, I'm not sure that Jeremy. I'm not sure that the, the, the end result of that scenario wouldn't be Jeremy Hellickson accepting a $15 million qualifying offer and, and coming back and being the highest paid number five starter, you know, in, in the major league, in major league baseball. Right. But um, as you said, you know, I mean, Jay Happ signed for three years and $36 million this year. And, and, you know, you need innings. I mean, this team, especially on a team where three or four of your, your rotation slots are going to be uh, filled with young arms who you would like to um, pitch in as you, you would like to have pitching in as controlled an environment as possible. Uh, you know, you need guys like, uh, you know, Jean-Marc Gomez and um, right. Jeremy Hellickson and Charlie Morton before he got hurt, who, who can, you know, at least give you innings and keep you in games. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Know yeah, I'm saying? absolutely. And plus they have virtually no money committed next season. Right. So the idea of making Hellickson like the highest paid fourth or fifth starter in Major League history, well, so what? You know, they're not, their payroll wasn't $140 right. million dollars anymore. They got to spend it somewhere, I think is what it comes down to. Right. But, but again, may, I mean, maybe you don't tender a qualifying offer to Jeremy Hellickson and you just let him walk. You know, that might, and it, from a long-term standpoint, that might be, be that might be better and it might have a more positive impact on future deals. You know, that knowledge that other GMs have that Matt Klintak is not going to be trifled with. Um, <laughs> you don't put Matt Klintak yeah, against the wall. He's like General Zod in the uh, Superman. Oh God, comics or something. Who is that? Who, uh, let's let's get this one. They're coming fast. They're coming fast. They're coming fast. General Zod is that Z A U D? Z O D Zod. Zod. I I'm at a loss. It, you said comic oh, books. Oh man. Give me. This has to be like Jeopardy. I have to give me a category so I can at least have an educated <laughs> guess. Let's move on to the Eagles. All right. So you and I. Uh, we're both down at the Novacare complex. Uh, this is Wednesday, Wednesday morning. We were there and I sent you a text when I did not realize you were sitting right behind me that said, Hey Mike, yeah, that was kind of cold. Ain't that the show in a nutshell? I said, I said, Mike, think, uh, try to find three to five guys, um, from the undrafted slash deep rookie ranks who you find intriguing as potential roster candidates. And then you tapped me on the shoulder and, uh, yeah. And we talked about it <laughs> like, like normal human beings in person. Uh, but you, you mentioned a guy who I had actually put a little star next to because he had been running with the ones. Uh, number 80, Paul, uh, Paul Turner, PT, as Doug Peterson called him today. In the, uh, That's right. That's PT, right. Not PT Barnum, PT uh, Turner. Yeah, I like, I like what I've seen of the kid. I mean, he's, he's, he stands out in one respect in that he's not um, – what seems to be the prototype for Eagles wide receivers in this camp, which is taller guys who don't seem particularly fast, <laughs> big guys who don't seem fast. Yeah, he's clearly he's, uh, a, he's, he's clearly going, a slot guy. It seems. What, yeah, he's five eleven. Um, he's listed at one hundred eighty five pounds. He's out of Louisiana Tech. But what I've noticed about him is that he catches everything um, with his hands. Good form, 
um, you know, hasn't dropped anything, hasn't fallen into that, um, you know, whatever it is that seems to be afflicting the Eagles receivers over the last couple of years, whenever Sam Bradford throws the football near them, um, you know, they have trouble hanging on to it. Turner does not. So, yeah, he was a guy who stood out to me just as, you know, I mean, at this stage, we're all just kind of waiting to right. see, okay, who, who shows us any flashes in, in actual preseason games? You know, the, um, like the consummate example of this, going back, I guess, about 10 years now, was Hank Baskin in 2006. Right. You know, I can remember the first couple of years of training camp that year, everybody was in love with Hank Baskin. It's like, okay, well, cool your jets. So let's see what he does you know, in the preseason games. And as it turned out, he did very well in the preseason and played himself into a roster spot and was actually a, a contributor, you know, a third or fourth wide receiver on a playoff team. So before he got into reality TV and Kendra and all that stuff. So, um, you know, I'm, Turner is the guy to me among the wideouts who has piqued my curiosity the most. Yeah, so so somebody asked uh, Doug Peterson at the press conference, this was after Mike, mine and Mike's conversation, um, uh, about the wide receivers and it's an interesting position uh one that i wrote a little bit about this week uh focusing more on chris givens and you know from a larger term perspective the lack of speed that was on the uh on the field last year which to me was really driven home in that week 10 or 11 uh win over buffalo when rex ryan rolled out a a coverage package with no no deep safeties which was the first time i'd ever seen I'd, i'd never seen that before uh you know, as part of sort of a base package um, in the middle of the field in an NFL game. Um, and frankly, that just was, that to me was the greatest indication of how limiting the lack of speed on the field was for the Eagles because, you know, it might not have been as obvious as no safeties deep um, in previous weeks, but clearly, you know, defensive coordinators were aware of how enable how unable the Eagles were to stretch the field and how how much they could roll their coverages to to kind of you know slack off a little bit in terms of looking for that you know what I'm saying oh absolutely yeah and you and you wrote about this as you mentioned with respect to Chris Gibbons who you know if nothing else is a speed guy now Mm. you know I haven't seen enough of him over his NFL career um to be familiar with the full breadth of his skills as a wide receiver, but everybody knows the one thing he can do is run fast. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy, look, you he's, know, he's really, <clears throat> excuse me, he does not have much, he does not bring much to the table other than the ability to run really fast. Um, right. He is, a, he's a confident guy, but he's, he's, he's first of all, he's small. He's, uh, he's very lithe. Yeah. Um, he's, he's not, I mean, he's not built much bigger than Todd Pinkston. He's a little shorter, um, but he's not a great route runner. Um, doesn't have great hands. But, uh, you know, he, he, he filled a role for the Rams the one year. And, and he, you know, the Eagles have always had that X receiver. You know, you mentioned Pinkston. Um, you know, in Kansas City, they had a couple of guys that they would just, you know, Donnie Avery. Yeah, just guys, who just, guys who could just run and occupy, at the very least, occupy over-the-top coverage, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, the, what we're talking about is really the, 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 you know, the key question and you know, if you want to go this far, flaw in the in the Eagles' offense both last year and this year's. There's nobody. You know, once they got rid of Deshaun Jackson, they, you know, and even Jeremy Macklin. I mean, he could he could get downfield a little bit too, though not to Jackson's degree. Um, but they don't have anybody who you go, uh oh, we gotta we gotta make sure you know we keep a guy deep for him, or right. we don't let him get behind us, or we have to worry about him getting behind us. I mean, Jordan Matthews is a most accomplished and best wide receiver, and you don't worry about that with him. He's not 
you know, he hasn't been able to play on the outside in, in large part because he can't do that. So, um, you know, I think you're right with respect to Givens. The question is, you know, can he do anything else, right. you know, to, to contribute to, to making this offense, you know, at least a little bit dynamic? Well, I mean, I think that I think the answer to that is no. Um, but I think that the, the whole point of the conversation that we're having, the reason why we're talking about a guy like uh, uh, Paul, Turner Paul Turner is that the, the, if you look at this wide receiver's depth chart, it's 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 really amazing. Yeah. It's it, it's pretty amazing because there just aren't any quality veterans in camp, really. I mean, all right. So we were, I was running this down with my boy uh, Elliot Shore Parks today from NJ.com, um, who takes the a lot in the midst of parted hair. Yes. Yeah. He, he takes a lot of heat uh, from people like myself on Twitter, but he, I, I enjoy sitting there and arguing with him. Um, <laughs> today, I will not even begin the rundown the uh, the the agenda, the topic of topic of conversation today. But the the one that to me is relevant to this conversation. Just a minute, JT is raising his hand like a good boy. Um, <laughs> the one that's relevant to this conversation is Josh Huff, Ruben Randall, um, because to me you have Jordan Matthews, you have Nelson Aguilar, and you have Givens. I think those three. All, the three of them are all, all pretty good bets to make the team. Um, and then, unless I'm missing somebody, you have Huff, Ruben Randall, and I believe that that is the those are the only five wide receivers in camp with NFL experience. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so, like, I think you're right. And I mean, most years they keep six, I believe, wide receivers. Um, yes, they do. They I'm do. sorry, so, Jonathan. Go ahead. I withdraw the question and congratulate Elliot for getting his name mentioned on the show. Okay. Good. I'm sure he, I'm sure he uh, appreciates that greatly. Uh, Mike, the, the thing we were arguing about was Josh Huff, um, who I am right. not a big fan of. Elliot is a big fan of. But I think that Josh Huff is one of these guys that um, could, could, could offer some versatility um, and the kind of versatility that Doug Peterson and Andy Reid tend to value in players. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, you've seen it even, you know, you saw it even today. Um, in the this is this is going to be a team that screens a lot, which was always you know Andy Reid's reputation. And they're going to screen, mm-hmm. you know, running backs, and they're going to screen um, wide receivers, and maybe they'll screen some tight ends, you know, at some point. Uh, Josh Hoff, to me has been mentioned as a guy who, who could be on the roster bubble, but I, I, I look at it, and as much as I dislike him as a, as a quality NFL prospect, he can run. Um, he, he had some big catches and runs last year um, when he was in that screen, those, those bubble screen-type situations. Uh-huh. And he plays special teams. I mean, he, he can return kicks, um, and, he, and he, was a, he was a gunner on the punt return, on the punt coverage team. Yeah, yeah. So the question was, uh, Ruben Randall... And Josh Huff, who who is more likely to be released? And I actually think it's Ruben Randall. And I was widely shouted down by the rest of the media <laughs> contingent. Um, I just don't see what Ruben Randall really brings to your depth chart. Um, I mean, you covered him a little bit in New York, right? Uh, very, very little, very little. And you know, I mean, I to, to get to the heart of the question, I think you know, uh, I find it hard to believe having watched Josh, Don Henley. Watched Josh Don Henley, Huff. and again, the heart of the matter, Don Henley. Yeah, there right? you go. Very good. See? See now you're ca- that's a night that was that song came out in nineteen eighty nine. Now you're now you're tapping into, you know, the true, true uh generation X pop culture here. That's very good. All right. Um but anyway, the the point is after watching Josh Huff over the last couple of years, I find it hard to believe that no matter how big a lunkhead 
Ruben Randall uh, might have been with the Giants, that he's going to be uh, more of one than Josh Huff has been. I mean, Josh Huff has also had certain advantages in that, you know, he was a Chip Kelly guy. Like, he was brought here to be part of Chip's system, having been part of Chip's system in college. And it, it still didn't work. I mean, he still could, really couldn't get on the field with any consistency. Now, you know, is, is are Doug Peterson, is Doug Peterson going to tap into something that Chip Kelly couldn't with respect to Josh Huff? I know we're not talking about, you know, turning him into the next uh, Calvin Johnson or something like that, that they were only debating whether is he, you know, is he going to be marginally better than, than Ruben Randall? But, you know, at least R- Randall has a modicum of evidence to suggest he can be a, pr- a relatively productive receiver over the course of a season or two. Um, you know, I don't even see that with Huff. Um, and, yeah, you're right about the versatility, but um, I don't know. I, just, I find it hard to believe that in the choice between a guy whom the Howie Roseman-Doug Peterson regime signed and Randall, and a guy who's remaining from the chip regime, that they're going to give the benefit of the doubt to the guy from the chip regime. No, I hear you. Um, I just think that. The, I just think that when you look at it, at the very least, Josh Huff can return a kick. Uh, you know, if someone goes down, he had twenty-one mm-hmm. last year. He had twenty-one returns for four hundred ninety-eight yards, twenty-three point seven yard average, which was not very. That's not a great number. Um, no, but it is. I mean, but he can do it, and I'm not sure that Ruben Randall does, yeah. does that kind of thing. You know, um, you know, Ruben Randall. Hit the, I always, I, I was always one of these people. I'm sure everybody was who was intrigued by Ruben Randall because, you know, the pedigree and and you know the offense that he played in and his quarterback. But I just keep coming back to the fact that the Giants got a three or four year look at this guy and let him walk for for nothing. Yeah, you know, you know? and it, yeah. that, that tells me something. Uh, now that's not to say that Josh Huff is any better, but again, I think you know when you get when you get down to an argument on this about this mundane topic, it just seems that Josh Huff's versatility and his run after catch ability, I could envision filling more of a role in this offense than Ruben Randall. I just look at Ruben Randall and I wonder when's he ever like why would you ever have him on the field? Yeah, I, you know, and it does speak to you know having a discussion about this kind of topic. It speaks to. I think the shape the Eagles are in this season. I mean, let's face it. You know, we're, we're asking which one of these guys has a chance to be a greater contributor. On a good team, you wouldn't be asking that question about either of them. I mean, really, you wouldn't. Um, you know, a good team wouldn't have signed Randall. I, I think, you know, a team that was set at wide receiver would not have signed Randall in the offseason. It's only a team like the Eagles with so many questions out there that would take a flyer on them. And the same with respect to Josh Huff, like this idea that, like, well, we kept him around. Um, maybe we can tap into something that, that Chip Kelly couldn't. Um, you know, these are not the kind of decisions you make or choices you have to make when you are, uh, you know, expected to compete for a division championship or, you know, uh, kind of play out the scenario that they've, the Eagles have tried to sell everybody on, which is we're going to let Sam Bradford play and start a quarterback in the hopes that, you know, we can win a division championship and we can keep Carson Wentz on ice. Um, you know, it just, it's, it speaks to where they're at, I think. Another Josh Huff number. 2014 as a rookie, 14 returns for 415 yards and a touchdown, uh, an average of 29.6 yards per return. Um, again, this is your, 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 uh, what was that little rascals club? The He-Man, whatever, whatever haters. I, uh, I'm like, the He-Man, one haters. Yeah. I'm the He-Man Josh Huff haters. Um, 
club. <laughs> so, so, you know, take all of this within that context. Um, right. Right. But Paul Turner, but Paul Turner, I think what it comes down to is the only reason to get rid of either one of these guys, Randall or Huff is if you want, if you want to open up a spot on the roster um, for somebody who opens your eyes, who, who is more of a developmental guy, um, who's going to be inactive uh, more than likely, but who you want to keep around. And it sounds like Paul Turner, again, this is early. Um, and a lot, that, a lot of what you see right now is just guys who are smarter um, and better, you know, who have a higher football IQ and are better able to, uh, you know, pick up the scheme that, that the team, team runs. And, you know, you could see a lot of, you could, you, could, you could see a lot of depth chart realignment coming up here in the future. But at least today on Wednesday, when Mike and I were down at practice, Paul Turner was working in kind of as that fourth or fifth wide receiver with the number ones. Yeah. Um, you know, it looks like Agu- at this point, it looks like Aguilar, Jordan Matthews, obviously Zach Ertz. Uh, but then you have kind of Huff and, and Paul Turner, you know, in there kind of rotating and Ruben Rand- even more so than Ruben Randall. Um, it, it seemed like to me. Yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, I, I also think we're, and I'm actually writing a column about this, um, you know, that'll be out Wednesday night, I guess, and Thursday's paper about, you know, what is the offense going to look like? I mean, you see the same kind of nondescriptness at wide receiver that you see in the backfield uh, with this team. And uh, they were able to make, when Peter was in Kansas City last year, they were able to make something of this in large part because they had a terrific defense uh, who could keep them in games, very good defense keeping them in games. Uh, and they had a very mobile quarterback in Alex Smith. I just I kind of looked this up. That, um, one of the key weapons, once Jamal Charles went down last year with that torn ACL in week five, one of the key reasons they were able to keep moving the ball on offense and maintain a respectable running game was not just because, you know, they had backups who turned out to be pretty good. It was because Alex Smith became almost like a second or third running back. I mean, you see games where, you know, Smith five carries 78 yards and a touchdown, five carries 35 yards and a touchdown. You know, um, the Eagles don't have that. You know, Sam Bradford is not that mobile guy. He's not, you know, dink dunk and, and move the chains, you know, scramble for four yards on third and three. Uh, He's not that guy at all. So, um, you know, I think it's going to be a harder, you know, a harder slog for this team and for Doug Peterson, um, you know, trying to move the ball down the field this season compared to, you know, what they had in Kansas City last year. Yeah, and actually, that's an interesting. So, so that would be on my list. If we, if we were doing a list of kind of overall takeaways from the first week or the first few few practice sessions um, of training camp, that would be on my on my list. Was listening to Frank Reich talk about uh, you know this offense and the uh, ability the, the the doors that are opened when a quarterback has the ability to run. I get this. I got the sense. Now again, Frank Wright is not Frank Reich. This is his first year in the offense. Um, you know, he was talking to a group of reporters, um, and he was asked a specific question. But um, he he talked very demonstrative, demonstratively about um, you know the ability that, that this offense has, the Doug Peterson Andy Reid offense, um, to work in some quarterback um, some quarterback runs, and you saw it, especially in that you know you saw it down the stretch throughout. Um, you know, the Chargers game jumps out at me. Chiefs Chargers the second half of the season and then obviously the Patriots mm-hmm. uh you know the Chiefs lost to the to the Patriots in that great you know playoff game uh I mean they mm-hmm. were running there for a time there they were running um and if Peterson is to believed to be believed they were running it during the time that he was calling the plays um 
I mean, they were running like that, that, you know, read option offense that people thought Chip Kelly, you know, was going to bring with him to the NFL. I mean, Alex Smith, as you said, he was a running quarterback uh, in that game. And when you asked, uh, you know, I asked Frank Reich about, um, you know, Carson Wentz and, and Sam Bradford and how they kind of bring different, to put it politely, skills to the table with regards to mobility. Right. Um, I just got the sense that they really, uh, they really envision a running quarterback as an integral part of this offense. And I think that was a big part of the allure of Carson Wentz. And I think that it might be one of the big reasons they find themselves kind of resisting, having to resist the urge to, to throw Wentz in there, um, you know, around week six or seven. Yeah, I think you're right. And I also think that, you know, from watching practice, you can see it's one of Wentz's clear strengths is his footwork um, on the move laterally. You know, I mean, He's getting himself into trouble, I think, uh, you know, during seven on sevens, during uh, you know, sometimes eleven on elevens when he's not, uh, he's kind of figuring out where he's supposed to go with the ball, and his feet get a little, you know, not with, not moving the way they should, and and he's failing throws, and um, you know, kind of um, aiming the ball a little bit. Mm. But when you see him in drills and you see him roll to his right and throw, it looks very, very comfortable. And you know, we talked about this in the podcast before about you know, he can move a little bit and, and did move quite a bit at North Dakota State. So, yeah, I think you're right. I, you know, I think you mentioned on, on a previous podcast, you know, if you, if you shot Doug Peterson up with sodium pentothal, he admit that, um, you know, having Alex Smith as a quarterback, did that inform his decision or his desire uh, to move up and get Carson Wentz? Because uh, Alex Smith is a, you know, short throw kind of guy, mm-hmm. doesn't stretch the field with his arm, and Wentz is clearly not bad. He's got a rifle. So, you know, but I wonder if the flip side of that is true, if if Smith's ability to move also informed Peterson's desire to get Carson Wentz. You know, that, okay, if Wentz can move, Jared Goff isn't, you know, wasn't mobile, for instance, as Wentz seems to be. So did that influence their decision? Like, hey, if we get the number two pick, that's okay, because we'll we'll end up with Wentz, he can move, and that's a better fit for our offense. Yeah, I mean, when when I first looked at Wentz, or when I first watched him, you know, watched his watch the tape of his his cut tape um, in January. That that was the first thing that jumped out at me was uh, his ability to throw accurately and strongly on the run from all different um, angles, from all different arm angles, mm-hmm. from all different body angles. Um, that's one of his. You know, if you were to look at something, if you were to look at Carson Wentz and try to pick out one unique skill of his, that would be his. I think. Uh, I mean, that that could be. That, that's his X factor, if you want to call it that. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's quite impressive. But at the same time, on the flip side, we've seen him, you know, it's going to be interesting because we've, we've, seen, we've, seen we've seen him look like most rookie quarterbacks look when they're first, uh, I mean, they're not even hitting live right now, um, at least not right. the quarterback. And, you know, he, it's just such a different, you just don't have time to go th- to think about things the way you did in college. Um, and you see that with him. Right. And I think that's when you talk about him aiming passes, you know, I think it's almost more him rush, you know, him just trying to, trying to, trying to keep his head above water uh, because everything around him is moving so fast. I mean, these guys are just, you know, every single one of these guys is faster than the fastest guy he played against at, you know, North Dakota state. Yeah. And you see it sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. You see it. And you know, you see him spraying balls all over the place. He, you know, it's interesting. I've been, I, I spent a lot of time today watching his throwing motion. Mm-hmm. And again, maybe this is a function of 
you know, the, the unsureness of where he's gone with the ball. But it does seem he has a tendency to drop, you know, he's kind of got that funky hitch in his yeah. delivery. And um, there are times where it seems to be he lets his elbow drop, and, you know, that causes the ball to sail yep. on him. Um, you know, the one difference between him and Bradford, uh, you know, Bradford has, has a very clean motion. You know, he, it, it's very quick. There isn't a lot of wasted movement with it. it you know, balls it here and, it, and it's out. Wentz is not like that. I mean, he, the ball comes out of his hand fine, but it's the point of, it, it's the process of getting the ball to leave his hand that, that to me, I wonder if the Eagles try to clean that up at all, or even if they have to based on how familiar he gets with the offense. You know, is it something that'll clean itself up? You know, the, the faster he picks things up and the more sure of himself he becomes. I believe I, I was talking to Jeff McLean um, back when just the rookies were in, and he he was mentioning that um, the Eagles were trying to, uh, sm- you know, smooth out uh, Wentz's mechanics. Because again, that's that's something else you notice in college. It, he does have a I don't know if a hitch is a loop is the word I was using. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's just this kind of like it, you know it's similar in style you know as a derivative of of tim tebow's throwing motion a little bit he's just got that little Mm -hmm. like extra kind of figure eight loop-de-loop thing um and it's not a problem for him when he has time to throw um the problem i think is when he's trying to um you know that's an extra split second that that you have before you you know if you get rid of that that hitch that loop it's an extra split second you have to hang on to the ball and make your decision do you know what i'm saying um well, absolutely, absolutely, and that's the kind you know, of you know people, that's people talk about that. I mean, having said that, though, that's not necessarily. And this kind of goes without saying. It's not necessarily an indication of um, you know how great a quarterback may or may not be. It certainly right. helps. Like if you watch if you watch Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, um, I, I talked about this once with a quarterback coach. If you watch Brady and Rodgers, like there are no like Rodgers can make any throw. He'll throw the ball sidearm. He can throw the ball on the move. But if you put him and Brady in the pocket. Nobody looks better throwing the ball right. than those two guys. But then the quarterback coach, this was a couple of years ago, said something interesting to me. He said one of the guys who looks prettiest in the pocket when he's set and ready to throw is Mark Sanchez. Yeah, <laughs> that that his motion is beautiful. The problem is, is that he doesn't see the linebacker coming underneath to the receiver he's going to throw to, or you know he throws to the wrong guy, or whatever the case may be. And he also doesn't have a great arm. To me. I mean, that's that's the other right. thing that that Wentz has. He just has an elite. He has elite arm strength. Um, you know, and he looks like it, 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 it's very easy to see why the Eagles fell in love with him. I mean, he when he's standing there with um, Sam Bradford and Chase Daniel uh, and Bethel, you know, Bethel, McLeod Bethel Thompson, McLeod Thompson, Bethel Thompson, Thompson, yeah. Thompson, Thompson, McLeod Bethel, whatever, um, <laughs> who did not throw a pass in practice today. The poor guy. Um, no, he did not. I mean, Carson Wentz is the one who you would pick out as being the NFL quarterback if you just looked at their bodies. I mean, Bradford's tall, but he's kind of got like these like sloped shoulders and kind of these yeah. knock, this knock knees and just a very like, you know, lithe, lithe, abnormal frame. Um, Wentz is like, I mean, he, he, he looks like the real deal in terms of his physique. And frankly, when you, when you watch him throw, I mean, his ball looks like that too when, when he's not, you know, doing it when it's in a controlled environment. The question now is, you know, and again, this is what nobody knows. And it's why, you know, the Eagles, the Eagles can be right in everything that they've said about Carson Wentz, but, but they still won't know what they have until they see him, you know, with an extended look really, I mean, against, uh, you know, against the live NFL pass rush. Oh yeah. I mean, let's, let's face it that the, 
the preseason is going to be a complete inversion of last season's preseason. I mean, look, Tebow was a bit of a curiosity factor. He's right. going to come back, you know, he has those, you know, the leads of the fans, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, the excitement such as there was last year was let's see Chip's offense with Bradford, with DeMarco Murray, with, you know, Ryan Matthews, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, Bradford 10 for 10 against Green Bay, blah, blah, blah. The excitement this year is inverted. Like, people are going to be watching the third and fourth quarters of these preseason games so they can see Wentz. And those people include, you know, the, the people in the press box, the people who cover the team on a day-to-day basis because, mm-hmm. you know, this guy is it. This guy is the future. You know, it's it's become this um, – it's interesting. I was I was thinking of you the other day because I was I flipped on two different um, – both talk radio stations in town. And, um, you know, this is, again, a topic we've discussed before, but – um, you know, with respect to how uh, each station could discuss kind of different, the, the polar opposite different right. things. The, the station that does not have the Eagles' rights, you know, doesn't have the rights to broadcast on radio their home games, was talking about the relative apathy around this season with respect to the Eagles. You know, only 16,000 people at the open practice length the other day and you know, nobody seems particularly excited about this season, certainly not compared to last year after all the moves Chip made, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, the other station is not saying this because they don't want to talk up the fact that people may be apathetic about the team whose games they're going to broadcast this season. But the point is that, you know, I don't know about you, but I have picked up on that apathy, and it's totally based on the fact that the Eagles have done everything they could to tamp down the idea that Wentz is going to play this season. doesn't mean he, he will sit out the whole year, but, you know, there is this apathy, I think, because Eagles have said he ain't going to play at the start of the season. And that's all anybody around the team wants to see, is to see how he develops, you know, what kind of quarterback does he turn out to be. Yeah, I mean, that's totally it. I mean, and it's it's why the whole it's why their whole, uh, you know, sequence of decisions that they made was, was so, you know, abnormal, I guess, to put it kindly. Yeah. Um, I mean, because essentially what you did was... was I mean, everyone, you don't see people wearing Bradford jerseys. You see them wearing Carson Wentz jerseys, you know, and essentially what you've done is, is just said, okay, you, you feel free to ignore this team until Carson Wentz plays, you know? <laughs> right, right. No, and I, I wrote this in a column last week, I think. The only person that I can see who benefits from this plan that the Eagles have articulated uh, at quarterback is Doug Peterson. Mm-hmm. Nobody else benefits from it. Um, Sam Bradford, it's not like Sam Bradford. The likelihood that Sam Bradford is going to play himself into coming back next season or a contract extension is virtually nil. Chase Daniel doesn't help Chase Daniel. He's getting paid one way or another. You know, he's making more money than a backup quarterback ought to make, no matter what, whether he takes a snap snap or not. And Wentz, you could argue, and, and I would argue, you know, isn't getting uh, – he, he could end up if, – if things go as well as possible, you know, and Bradford plays the whole year, then Wentz isn't getting the kind of preparation and, you know, live bullets, so to speak, that a young quarterback probably ought to be getting to continue the development that he needs to continue. The only person who would benefit is Doug Peterson because it buys him time. Yep. The longer that Bradford or Daniel is in there as the quarterback, the more rope he gets as the head coach. The clock on him doesn't start ticking as a coach until Carson Wentz lines up under center in a regular season game for the first time. Right. And so, you know, the only person who stands to gain from Sam Bradford playing and playing well on this plan working out and the Eagles claim they want it to work out is the head coach. Yeah, I agree. Um, back to wide receiver since I sure. just called up the depth chart from 
week one of last year, it looks like they kept six wide receivers, um, seven if you count Shea Azura Tutu, who was kept as a exclusively as a special teams player. Um, yeah. Riley Cooper, Miles Austin, Jeff Mayle, uh, Josh Huff, Nelson Aguilar, and uh, Jordan Matthews. Jordan Matthews. So that's uh, that's six right there. Um, so at this point, I mean, that's I, not that, that. You know what? You, you read that group off, and that group ain't a whole lot better, if at all, than this group we're no. seeing right now. I mean, literally, the only difference is uh, Chris Givens can run fast, and Miles Austin can't. Um, yeah, or couldn't. Now, the other thing you hope you would hope for, um, and and this is what what you know has been mentioned a lot by reporters questioning Doug Peterson um, and Frank Reich is is Nelson Aguilar. Um, you know, we've seen wide receivers. We've seen rookie wide receivers essentially take a mulligan before in the NFL. Um, you know, a guy like Antonio Brown, I go back to. Uh, he he was nobody his his yeah. first year. You know, in the NFL, the difference with Nelson Aguilar is that the Eagles needed him to be somebody. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think the one thing people miss about Nelson Aguilar too is. He, he was a twenty, the number twenty pick in the draft, and that, that that's a range that does not typically yield. Uh, th- there's not a high success rate on draft picks in that range. I mean, that's where Freddie Mitchell was drafted. That's where a lot of these guys that flame out. The AJ Jenkins, I believe, was drafted right around there. Antonio Brown, his first year, sixteen receptions for 167 yards um, in nine games as a 22 year old, and then the next year, 69 catches for 1,100 yards and two touchdowns. So I think. That is what people are hoping for um, out of Nelson Aguilar. The difference is, I, I keep on going back to Nelson Aguilar's body. I just don't like it. Yeah. Um, he has very skinny legs. Um, I, I mean, Antonio Brown, 5'10", 180. Emmanuel Sanders, uh, pretty much the same dimensions. But if you look at their bodies, like they're built like gymnasts. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they're, they're, you know, very, their upper and lower torsos are very equivalent. Um, they're very thick. Um, they got, they have dumps like a truck, I believe would be the, uh, <laughs> would be what the kids say. Uh, and, and they, they ain't made for chumps. No. And they, Nelson Aguilar is not, he just does not look like that. I was very interested. I would, I was very interested to check him out, um, when he got back from the off season. And I just didn't see much that. I mean, I know he talked a lot about some of the core work he did, but you know, if you've ever, if you've ever watched Emmanuel Sanders, YouTube videos, you, you understand right away why he is such a good NFL wide receiver, despite his dimensions. I mean, he is a freak athlete. I mean, absolutely freak athlete. And Nelson Aguilar simply, he still looks like, you know, kind of a kid out there. And yeah, he, he kind of, he kind of floats when he runs. Right. That, that's what I would say. Like I, I, I see him run both on the practice field. You see him run games and he doesn't seem, you know, maybe it's me. I mean, he's, and he certainly seems to have excellent straight ahead speed, but it's not a, there's not a, any sort of viciousness no. to it. And not that you want that necessarily with a wide receiver, but you also want, you kind of want that combination. You want a little bit of, hey, I'm going to make it hard, I'm, I'm going to make it hard for you to catch me when I move laterally. And even if you get a hand on me, I have enough strength to break that tackle. Yes. You know, um, and he doesn't seem to have enough of either of those. No, he doesn't he... seem to have enough of the elusiveness, and he doesn't seem to have enough of the, I don't want to say toughness, but just kind of the, the 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 strength, I guess, the overall bodily strength to do that. Um, and that's what you see, as you said, out of those top receivers, guys who 
you know, it's going to take more than you grabbing them around the waist, right? You know, as they run by you to bring them. Exactly. All right. And, and, so that's the perfect. Uh, that's that's what I think. And that's exactly what. Um, that is exactly what I do not like about Nelson Aguilar. I've, I've spent a year trying to put into words what, you know, other than I don't like his body, what specifically about it. Um, and I always end up bringing Emmanuel Sanders up, who, by the way, uh, first year, 28 catches, 376 yards. Second year, 22 catches for 288 yards. So, uh, you know, as, we, as I've said, we've seen wide receivers take a little while to get going. Um, that being said, there was today during, during uh, 11, uh, actually it was, I think it was like, one-on-ones essentially um uh, nelson aguilar went you know went on a you know shallow cross or like a quick slant um from the slot Mm -hmm. on randall evans and randall evans grabbed him um you know it would have been called he grabbed him around the waist just as he made his cut but you know an nfl wide receiver should not have been thrown the way nelson aguilar was thrown and there was another you know, there was another play. I forget who was guarding him, but you know, he made his where he made his cut, and the, and his defender was there, and Aguilar like ran into him and got completely knocked off his route. Um, and that yeah. that to me is is, you know, that's what he's missing. Um, you know, I think he's 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 a very short strider. I feel like I feel like he, it doesn't take mm-hmm. much to get him knocked off his block. Um, I think if you were to do some sort of scientific test on an Antonio Brown or Emmanuel Sanders, you would find that they're you know, center of gravity is much lower to the ground. Um, and they just have that core and thigh strength um, to kind of fight through the, that hand grabbing, you know? Um, yeah. It was interesting yeah. to I me. Mean, it, you, you weren't. The, it is. It's literally like you're running through like a really thick yes. bramble of bushes and sticks and, you know, tree limbs and all that. And you got to be able to, at, at some point, you just got to be able to, to just go the heck with it and just surge right through that. And, you know, and Aguilar does not seem capable at this point of being able to do it. You know what it's like? I mean, it's it, 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 basketball is it kind of yeah. kind of offers a compar- comparable. I mean, if you th- if you look at a guy like Kyle Lowry versus a guy like Steph Curry, um, right? You know, I mean, Kyle Lowry can play in traffic. Um, he can bang. You know, he's a slasher. Um, you know, he he does not. He, he, he does not get shut down by tight defense. I mean, part of that is his handle, but he's also just a He's a solid, square, uh, low-to-the-ground type player, whereas Steph Curry, you know, you can knock him off his block a little bit, you know? I mean, it, it, yeah. that's the difference yeah, between can. those body types. Yeah, you're 100% right, and I think that's a good analogy. I think I think that's kind of why they thought Josh Huff would be... Yes, like Josh Huff know, has a good NFL body. At, ...at receiver is that he was, was a running back and was built with that you know, lower center of gravity, but he can't catch the ball. Right. And <laughs> That's <laughs> at a least problem. he doesn't catch it well enough or often enough and, you know, has other issues too. So, um, no, that's a yeah, perfect, it's funny that you would, I didn't even think of that. That's right. perfect to me. That's perfect. Like Josh Huff to me, when you look at Josh Huff, you see that, um, you see what uh, the, the body that Nelson Aguilar needs to have if he's going to be successful. Um, I was going to say you weren't here when Frank Reich talked. I don't think you were at Frank Reich's press conference. No. Uh, a couple no, days ago, but somebody asked him about Nelson Aguilar, and I forget what the I forget how it was framed. The specific question, uh, like what does he? It was like what does he do well? Or when you watch Nelson Aguilar, what jumps out at you? Um, and Reich answered, and he said, you know, this is not verbatim, obviously, but he used the word technician. He said, you know, Nelson Aguilar. I, when I see him, I see a technician. Um, you know, mm-hmm. with regards to his footwork and how he gets off the line, and that makes sense. Like Nelson Aguilar, when you watch him, and, and when people saw him last year in training camp, that was the thing that jumped out. Like, wow, this guy's got really quick feet. Um, he can change direction really fast. The problem is, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm curious if Frank Reich sees what we see. Uh, he probably does since, you know, he's paid to look at film and it, it, this is not rocket science we're talking about, but, uh, you know, you need to be able to do a lot more than, um, you know, run through tires really quickly, um, as a wide receiver, you know, you, you the feet help obviously, but you got to be able to get all, you, you've got to be able to fight through that initial contact. Um, and then the contact at your break at your cut. And, you know, I, that's why I don't have the, I, I don't feel like Nelson Aguilar, it's necessarily a given that he takes another step this year. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, I think, look, we're, we're banning about a lot of things when it comes to the skill position, uh, on the offense, um, you know, that, that don't exactly, uh, you know, they're not exactly, um, optimistic, you know, topics that we're discussing here. I mean, you know, they're counting an awful lot on the offensive line staying healthy, being better than than it was last year. And, um, you know, I think, I think whatever, whatever optimism the Eagles have is based on those old two tried and true kind of Andy Reid isms, which is, uh, you know, the offensive line and the defensive line. Well, you know, the defensive line looks a lot better uh, than the offensive line to me looks, I think, you know, they may be a little bit deeper on the offensive line, but it's still, you know, there's still some major questions there. Um, but apart from that, like, you have such questions elsewhere. You have such mm-hmm. questions at cornerback. You have such questions at wide out and running back. Um, you know, even, a, you know, you want to throw a quarterback in there with respect to Bradford's injury history. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard, you know, getting back to the apathy question, I think this is part of the reason that it's, it's hard to look at this season and say, oh, okay, well, you know, here's a reason to get excited about the Eagles. Um, I, I just don't see it. Like, you know, we end up, t- I, I don't know about you, but I end up talking about this with people at virtually every practice. Like how many games do you think they're going to win? What do you think it comes down to? It's the water cooler question you get asked all the time if you're in our business. And I, I can't see more than six or seven games just looking at what this roster is going to be. Um, and if that's the case and they better hope Carson Wentz, as, as you know, you and I have discussed, they better hope he's all that because and a bag of you know, chips. Yeah, um, because it's it. You know, I don't see a whole lot here with a whole lot of staying power. That's gonna, um, you know, guys who are gonna be around for a long time who you would want to be around for a long time because they're gonna be ascended players. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's me. No, I don't think it's you. Um, but I do think that, I, and I, I had this that exact same conversation with somebody at practice. Um, cause there just isn't the variety of topics you can talk to about people at practice is, is relatively narrow. Um, and it, it often yeah. circles back to how good is this team really? And I'm, I'm with you where, you know, you look, I don't understand the optimism about this team, um, in terms of, uh, you know, everything, everything that was wrong was wrong because of Chip Kelly and not because of the personnel. Um, that seems, there just seems to be a huge school of thought, um, that, every single player on the roster that was here last year will get better because they've been loosed from the shadow of, of, um, you know, Darth, Darth chip. But I will say this, um, they were not, you know, they were a mediocre team last year, but they were not an awful team last year. And I think something we, because the coach got fired, I think sometimes we forget that they went 10 and six, 10 and six and seven and nine. And we're really in this thing, for, you know, till week 16. Uh, and then when right. you look, when you look at their schedule, I mean, Browns bears, like, I have that as win-win. You know, I, I you can make an argument about the Bears, I'm sure. Um, but but again, like I don't, I think that's, I don't know that the Bears on a neutral field are a favorite in that game. 
Um, then you have the Steelers, which is a loss. But then you have at the Lions, who, yeah, they killed them. They killed the Eagles last year, but um, the Eagles are coming off a bye. And that Lions team, that Lions organization is trending downwards as well. Uh, I mean, Calvin Johnson's no longer there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, I would it shock would it shock you like would it shock you to see the Eagles beat the Lions? It wouldn't shock me. Not coming off a bye. Um, I don't know that the Eagles are are inferiorly talented. Um, and then you have at the Redskins. Uh, and again, I don't think the Redskins are are nearly as good as they played last year. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is when I look at the schedule and, and yeah, look for teams, we're, we're depend- they're, they're, you're, you're basically saying the Eagles are going to depend a lot on the kindness. Of yeah, I mean, I think opponent. essentially when people ask me, "What do you think?" I mean, I, my dad asked me when I got home. Um, you know, I was at my parents this past weekend, and, and I got home from training camp one day, and he said, "You know, what do you think?" Um, you know, how many games are they going to win? And I said, I think it's going to be like last year. I think that they could win anywhere between, you know, five and, you know, honestly, it wouldn't shock me if they win 10 games. You know, I think a lot depends on how things break with them and how things break with everybody else. I mean, you look at their schedule. I see the Steelers as a definite loss. I see the Vikings. You know, I, I don't love that Vikings team either, but I'll put them as a definite loss. Uh, Steelers, Vikings. Mm-hmm. I look at the Falcons. Um, I think the Falcons are vastly better than them. Um, the Packers, the Seahawks, the Bengals. Um, I think that's six teams right there. And like several yeah. of those teams, like the Falcons and the Vikings, I'm not even sure I would, you know, put them in there. But, but when I look at like, okay, they're definitely going to be, they would definitely have to, um, they're definitely not the better talented team on the field. I look at that and I see six games. Otherwise, I think the Cowboys are going to be really bad this year. Um, I think the Redskins mm-hmm. are going to take a big step back this year. Uh, I don't think the Ravens are are all that good. Um, you know, and the Giants, I think, are going to be be- – like, I think the Giants are going to end up being one of the better teams they play. Um, so, again, like, I just don't see yeah. – I don't see I don't see reason really for, for overwhelming uh, optimism nor overwhelming pessimism, but I do think that what you're looking at is essentially a 500 team that, that is at the mercy of the other teams on its schedule. So we're going to have a season of vanilla ice cream, basically. Is what you're saying. Yeah, and that's why, like that, that almost to me makes it more interesting. Um, the whole Carson Wentz thing, because again, like I can easily see them with, with Brown, with with the Browns, and then a long week at at, at Chicago. I can easily mm-hmm. see them coming off two very high scoring performances and being two and zero. Then two and one with the Steelers, even that's a home game, um, and then having a bye. You know, the early bye also throws a wrinkle into it too. You know. Yeah, that's um, true. That's true. You know, I could just see them. You know, the Lions. That defense isn't all that good, is it? No, I don't think it is. It's just, so mean, it's just going to be interesting when. So then you run. It, it's interesting to me because because then you run into that hellish portion of the schedule at Cowboys, at Giants, home versus Falcons, at Seahawks, home versus Packers, at Bengals. Like where yeah. to, to me, like that's a fascinating stretch because, um, you know where in there. It, does the trigger get pulled? You know, I mean, yeah. I think the yeah. easiest thing that's, for everybody that's, that's would be the key portion right there. You're the, right. I think the easiest thing. I think the game I circled for Wentz's debut was at the Giants on November sixth, because um, you figure, you know, I think it's and that's this is the weird part about what they've done is you they've almost put them <laughs> themselves into a position where they're rooting against Bradford. You know, um, right. like, it would be that's easier exactly for right. everyone. It would be easier for everyone involved if Bradford comes out and struggles against Detroit Redskins and Minnesota, you know, I've been sitting. It here would be. I mean, it, it's funny you said this because uh, Donovan McNabb 
just did an interview. I, I don't know if you saw it. It, it was it was put out Wednesday uh, on uh, I think it was uh, BillyPenn.com that you know he said exactly the same thing. He doesn't understand why um, why Bradford was brought back. He said. You know, he went. Somebody asked him about 1999, and he said, "Look, Doug, Pe- Doug Peterson didn't mentor me. Mm-hmm. He was there to play until I was ready to play. You know, that, that's it. That's why. He, that's why he was there." He said, "You could have had Chase Daniel do that. You know, you could have had Chase Daniel play until Carson Wentz is ready to play. You didn't need to bring Sam Bradford, keep Sam Bradford, sign him to this money uh, for two years. Uh, it just speaks to the, you know, the the, the flawed and kind of." random thinking that went into this whole plan. I, I know they, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too, but um, it just, it's, it, it's, to me, it's kind of, that, that's kind of a, um, th- that's a bad sign to me. And, and I, again, we've beaten this topic to death in some respects, but um, the fact that you were thinking that way, that you thought, okay, we'll get a year out of Sam Bradford and then we'll just cut him loose. And by then, you know, and we can try to win this year, but, if it doesn't work out, then we'll go to Wentz and we'll bring in Daniel and, and give Doug his guy. Like, just, you know, form a plan, make it concise and simple and logical and stick with it, you know, and don't don't muddle it by trying to, uh, you know, take such a big bite of, of everything that's great that you're going to end up, you know, falling apart in the process. Mike, I, don't, Mike, I don't get it. Like, Mike, Mike, why do you have to I'm ask? I'm expressing that poorly. You're not, but why do you have to ask so much of the Eagles? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe, maybe all these years without a Super Bowl was conditioned to me to think that good. you know they might want to try to win. Surely a Super Bowl. not. I, mean, I did say. Look, I said what was it when they drafted Wentz around then? We were talking about when his first start would be. I still stand by Week Four against the four, whatever the buy is, some point in there. They play the Steelers. That's that's, that's the third game of the season. Yeah, that's still what I stand by from whenever my money will be on Wentz taking the field. And I don't make as much as you guys do, so I'm not putting a lot of money on it. We but can I put can, some money on it. I'm thinking that Bradford is going to get a pounding in that game and that Wentz takes the field in the fourth quarter when they're losing by 20 or something like that. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about injuries, I, you know, I think I'll – I will say this. The Carson Wentz – Carson Wentz, it, his need for time to develop is very real. Uh, I was saying this to somebody – just at the rookie portion of camp that man if they if they were entering the season with like Carson Wentz as Jameis Winston where he's definitely going to play like I think they would be a 2 and 14 1 and 15 team like he's that's just how raw he is right now and you might you mm-hmm. might have just answered the question of why they re-signed Sam Bradford because Jeffrey Lurie believing that he thinks on behalf of a fan base that is often renowned for being fairly impatient Cannot stomach a two and fourteen season, even if it's the right thing to do. No, I mean, yeah, I mean that's why they signed Sam Bradford. I just think that to whip to whip the team across the parking lot from the yeah from like the financial I, field. Oh, I think that I don't know if there's ever been a huge question, question as to whether you know they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. I just don't know that it, it makes sense in the long run. Um, like Chase Daniel, as, as Donovan McNabb, <laughs> for a rare occasion, correctly pointed out, um, you know Chase Daniel could just as easily do that as as Sam Bradford and you know all you're doing right now is 
essentially paying more money to Sam Bradford knowing that it, it, it's just, it, it's introducing a dying. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a karma guy. I'm just kind of a juju guy. Like, like I just, believe, I just believe that stuff matters. And to me, it's like always jumped out at me. Um, you know, a couple of occasions this past week, first Doug Peterson and then Frank Reich, somebody, you know, a reporter essentially prefaced a question by saying, yeah, well, uh, you know, essentially it was like, Doug, Carson Wentz isn't going to play this year, but, um, and the the reaction from from both Doug Peterson and and Frank Reich when when questioned in that manner was to quickly point out and interject um, that we don't know that Carson Wentz is not going to play this year. Um, right. You know, Doug Peterson said, "Well, first of all, we don't." It was Sal Palantonio asked the question, and he said, uh, mm-hmm. "You know, essentially, Sal, I think, asked Doug, what went into your thinking to essentially give you know Carson Wentz a red shirt year?" and you know, Doug Peterson very quickly said, well, we don't, you know, we, 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 we don't know that he's going to take a redshirt for the whole year, you know? And then Frank Reich said the same thing when somebody asked something about, uh, uh, Sam Bradford versus Carson Wentz. Right. It's just weird. Like to me, it's just weird. It's like a weird position to yeah. be in. Like what, what, I mean, what team that's entering a season with an entrenched starting cornerback quarterback answers questions like that. Like, uh, you know, I don't know. You know, we don't know Aaron Rodgers is going to be on the field for the whole year, you know? Um, you know, like even in Dallas, it's like, yo, we don't know that Tony Romo is going to be on the field for the whole year. You know, uh, like it's beyond the whole, exactly. it's beyond the whole football coach. Like, oh, you know, this we only pay attention to this second. It's more like we hope Carson Wentz eventually takes over. You know, and that's yeah. It just seems like a weird energy to be introducing to your football team. Yeah, well, that's what you do. That's what happens when you go out and trade up. You know, to get a guy who you tell them the world is your future franchise quarterback. And you have another guy in place who still thinks he's a starter and still is, you know, regardless of what you say about his career as a whole, you know, once, you know, wants a chance to start, um, is still the starter and was paid like a starter. Um, you know, and that's what Sam Bradford is. Um, you know, I mean, he's, he's not Chase Daniel. He's not a guy who's, you know, started one game over four years and thrown a total of 62 passes in the NFL or whatever the case may be. You know, he's, he's played in this league a while, and he started a lot of games in this league. And regardless of what you say about the quality of, you know, how much money he's made relative to how good he's been or how healthy he stayed, he's still been nothing but a starting quarterback in the NFL. And that creates a different dynamic than it would have if you had just signed Daniel and said, hey, Chase, go out there and play until the kid's ready or until you stop, you know, playing at a level beyond, well beyond anything you've ever played at in the NFL. Um and they, like I said, they could have kept things simple. They chose not to for whatever reason. Um, and here we are. And they're answering questions when they don't need to answer questions. And they're gonna, there are going to be more questions, I suspect, coming up. Um, because as we said, unless Bradford plays incredibly well, uh, unless he exceeds the, the talent around him or, or the, the opponents just, you know, are even worse than we, you know, as we just discussed, they're even worse than we think they're going to be. Um, you know, this is not, this is going to kind of crumble, this whole idea of Bradford playing the whole year is going to crumble apart pretty quickly, I think. So Paul Turner, I learned a little bit about him while you were talking. Um, he was a, originally with the, he was originally recruited to Louisiana State, spent a couple of years there, played sparingly, um, for LSU and then transferred to Louisiana Tech, um, where he spent, mm-hmm. he spent his last couple of years, um, did not put up a, a eye-popping numbers uh, at Louisiana no. Tech, 50 no, catches for 650 or so yards, doesn't return kicks or do anything. Um, but he's he's a guy, when Zach Berman asked about, you know, the young wide receivers today, 
you know, Doug Peterson kind of went out of his way to name drop him. It was, he essentially talked about um, Paul Turner, Caleb Jones, and then all the other guys, essentially. Um, yeah. And I think that that's, at this point, that's the way it stands. So Caleb Jones was, was the one guy that, that um, he's an intriguing guy. I'm not, sure that, I'm not sure that I would place, I'm not sure that the Eagles are in love, like him the way they like Billy Turner. There's been nothing to, or Paul Turner. Uh, Billy Turner used to coach at Camden, I believe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think he was Dewan Wagner's coach at, at Camden. Uh, but anyway. I think so. I think you're right. <laughs> Paul Turner, uh, PT, he, uh, you know, he, you could actually see the Eagles um, into him today because they were working him in with the first team, whereas Caleb Jones has just been, you know, another number, another rookie free agent. But he made a great, I don't know if you saw this, but yeah, he made a he great one hand. Yeah. He, he made a, a tremendous one. I mean, Odell Beckham. Beckham Ian uh he called it like Beckham <laughs> he he went up over uh I'm not sure who the, the the cover man was but it was a essentially a fly route down the right sideline um 50 or so yards and Chase Daniel I believe threw the ball and I mean it was yeah a perfectly, I think it was Denzel Rice he went over. yeah so he went up over Denzel Rice um you know just inside the sideline uh at the front of the end zone and I mean this was tight coverage um Mm-hmm. And he made a he made one of the better training camp catches I've seen. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a great great. And it was play. right in front of it was in the near end zone, so it was right in front. It was like ten feet away from where everybody was sitting, um, and it, and it drew a healthy round of applause. But Caleb Jones is a guy who, uh, you know, even before this was one of those names you kind of circled a little bit because uh, a he was highly regarded coming into college. Um, he, I, I believe he started out at U- University of Texas for the Longhorns, and then he got into some trouble there. I think he, um, you know, he moved his fist and accidentally connected with another person's face uh, <laughs> and was kicked out. And then uh, he, he ended up at Arizona State. Arizona or Arizona State? Arizona, because that's where Rich Rodriguez was. Um, and at, at, at some point, you know, he got an invite to the Combine, and he, he's, he's an impressive-looking guy. He's 6'3", 6'4", like – the probably the biggest wide receiver in camp, the most NFL looking wide receiver in camp besides Jordan Matthews. Um, but just like, just keep kept falling after the combine. Like one of these guys where he declared early after his junior year and people were like, at worst, he'll be a mid yeah. round draft pick. And then by the end of things, you know, he was, you know, a, you know, rookie free agent and the Eagles were bringing him in. He, his father, I don't know if you remember a guy named Robert Jones, um, I believe he was a linebacker for the Cowboys on a couple of their Super Bowl teams. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yep. That's so he's got the pedigree. He's got you know he's got the frame. He's not a quick guy. I think he ran like a four six five at the combine in the forty. You know, uh, you know, as we mentioned, you know, in, in just this play, he, I mean, Denzel Rice was blanketing him. Um, you know, on a on a flyer out down the field. But you know, if you can catch and you got that kind of frame, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna get some looks at least uh, on film. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I. To me, this is the most intriguing part of camp. I like, I always kind of hone in on the wide receivers. I'm always, um, just intrigued to see if any of them can emerge, you know, because, you know, you never know the set of circumstances that go into, you know, why a guy put up big numbers in college or why he didn't, you know, look at Jordan Matthews. I mean, he had eye popping numbers at Vanderbilt and you think, okay, well, this guy must be great because Vanderbilt's never been very good and doesn't have a great quarterback while he's there, and he's the SEC's all-time leading receiver, so therefore he must be great. And it's turned out so far he's been very productive, and he's talented, but he's not jumped off 
the screen or jumped off the field at anybody over his first two years with the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you find Jerry Rice at Mississippi Valley State or, you know, it's just, it's kind of the mystery of the NFL. Actually, and and I, I like watching, you know, these guys in camp. And, and Turner caught my eye, caught your eye. Jones, you know, as you mentioned, made that great catch today. Um, and I, I kind of like looking at it from that standpoint of, like, if you didn't know where these guys were drafted, you know, and just look at their bodies and the way they move and what they do, you know, what, what would you say, you know, who would you, you know, how would you rank them then? Um, you know, uh, I just, I like that. You know, I liked watching Rasheed Bailey last year yeah. in the preseason out of DelVal for that reason. Like you could see he wasn't nearly as fast as some of the other guys, but you know, everything you threw to him, he caught and you, know, you, you hope, you, you know, I, I kind of like those stories. You hope to see a guy who, it's kind of obscure, you know. Maybe maybe come to the forefront every once in a while. And it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because, um, you know, the the epitome of that is is these guys' position coach, um, Greg Lewis, who yeah, I, exactly. I remember um, as a college junior, uh, rising college senior, uh, standing on the sideline of the George Hegeman Field at Lehigh Valley. Uh, or at Lehigh University, <laughs> watching. I I used to love watching one on ones. Um, when, you know, at, at the you know, for people who who have not been to training camp, essentially the day starts with you know stretches and then like individual positional drills. Uh, but then like you start to get into some of the like, uh, you know, like some, one of the more interesting individual drills is the one on ones where you have a quarterback, and then um, you know a wide receiver and a corner and a defensive back, and then you know, on the lineman side, you have offensive defense alignments just going one-on-one, you know, like who can get to the spot mm-hmm. um, and who can make a catch. It's one of the more fun drills to watch. And Greg, I remember watching Greg Lewis uh, th- and the receivers are fun to watch because it's, it's the one position that you can, that you can essentially see every skill that they need to have on an NFL football right. field. You can see in practice, um, you know, because really it's all, it's just all about how quick are you? What kind of breaks do you make? What kind of hands do you have? And how big are you? You know, uh, and what kind mm-hmm. of speed do you have? And and Greg Lewis, like you, wa- I remember watching him, and Spadaro was was standing next to me, and he said, "What you know, uh, you know, if you were to pick one of these guys, to you know, who do you like essentially? Um, like which one of these guys do you think has a shot?" Um, I, and I said, "I think Greg Lewis has a shot," and he said, "I agree," because uh, you could just tell, like when you're standing there watching these guys, some guys just you watch them and you say, oh, all right, that guy's just on a little bit of a different level than everybody else. And Greg Lewis was one of those guys. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, you know, yeah. he, 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 I don't know if he, I don't know if he ended up on the practice squad at first or, or what, but like over the course of his NFL career, he turned into like, he was an NFL receiver, you know? Um, he was, he's the, the last Eagle to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Uh, 48 catches for 561 yards in 2005 was his best year. Um, but Lewis now is like, to me, like he, that's great to have that as a position coach, um, because he made them, yeah. you know, but he was a guy, like he was a guy where you, you, then you went back and you looked into his background and you couldn't really figure out why what you were seeing here was, did not translate into like anything on the college level. Uh, cause he played at Illinois. Right. Um, he played at Illinois and he played with, I think Brandon Lloyd, he, he, he had a really good receiving core. Um, he did. Yes. It was like Craig Lewis, Brandon Lloyd and, and somebody else, but, but. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, like sometimes guys just like, don't guys aren't in the right system or they don't have the right quarterback or, um, you know, they get stuck behind yeah, other and players. It's a, it's a dependent position. Like you, you know, you could be open every single play and the quarterback may not throw it to you or, you know, you may be getting the ball for like in Matthew's case, then you may be getting the ball thrown to you every single time mm-hmm. so that, you know, you're going to have your stats might get padded a little bit, um, to take nothing away from Matthew's raw ability. So, 
um, you know, that for me, that's that's kind of the fun of camp is I like watching these guys. I really do. Yeah, I mean, if you're Paul Turner, you were your you're freshman and sophomore year, you were probably behind Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham on the depth chart. I mean, you're not right. <laughs> those guys are <laughs> those guys are better than you. Exactly. You know, you're you're not going to play. Exactly. Um, the other guy, it was interesting. Uh, it, the one thing that jumped out of me out out of, out of today's practice um, from a a team perspective, they were really struggling. That, that defense was really struggling to cover running backs and tight ends. Um, yeah. Today and that's Kenyon Barner was open a lot. All so day. was Trey Burton. Trey Burton. Trey Burton is an early contender for the 2016 Training Camp Hall of Fame after the performance he put yeah. in today. Um, That's the truth. You know, so I, I, I'm writing about that today. Uh, I think when people, when people start to look at the Eagles' defense and just assume that uh, addition by subtraction is is what was needed, mm-hmm. um, both on the coaching staff and. You know, in the in the secondary and, and linebacking core, I don't I don't know that that that's the case. Um, no, I I agree with you. I, I mean, agree with you. It's, again, it's all completely unpredictable at this point. I mean, I just I I know when I look at this roster, I go eh, and maybe eh is good enough for eight and eight and staying in the NFC's contention for a while. Oh, but, I'm with you. Um, yeah, yeah. Would not, I don't think this is a good roster. Just, eh. Yeah, I think you know who I have been impressed with is Leotis McKelvin. Um, I think he will, I, and again, he's old, and and we'll have to see how he holds up. But he, he he's a more physical and more aggressive cover corner than Byron Maxwell. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, that's so <laughs> take that for what it, yeah, take that for what it's worth. But there was a moment today yeah. when you know Darren Sproles. It was either seven on sevens or one of these funky drills that they're running, um, and Darren Sproles split out. Um, or he was he was he was like split wide in the backfield, or he was like offset in the backfield, and Michael Kendricks was was over him in coverage, and you just looked at the two of them standing there across from each other, and like you saw visions of touchdowns, uh, yeah, just dancing, and it's just, I mean Michael Kendricks, and again Darren Sproles is probably one of the best pass pass catching route running running backs in in the league, but they're gonna face a lot of those guys. I mean Theo Riddick is pretty darn good. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and they, you know, Lamar Miller had a big catch and run for them uh, last year. And to me, like, I don't know if you read Paul Domowich. Well, we should probably also talk about that because that was interesting. Uh, Paul Domowich, uh, our colleague with the Daily News, talked to Billy Davis. Oh, yeah, talked to Billy Davis. And Billy Davis had some interesting things to say. Um, you know, I was I was curious to see what, what, what tack he would take. Because um, obviously you don't want to come across as, as, you know, the bitter ex, Um you know, burning bridges right. and, and such. But the one, one of the things that jumped out of me was about Michael Kendricks. Um, he definitely, uh, it was just more re- reinforcing to know that, that things that, that you see with your own two eyes, the defense coordinator also saw. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, the idea that, that once you lost Hicks, Kendricks couldn't call the defense, couldn't get people in the position and was out of position often himself. Yeah. I think his exact wordings was, at least the quote I'm thinking of his exact wording was uh, Michael tends to drift on you at times. Um, yeah. It sounded like he was describing someone with ADD, um, but I think <laughs> it's just somebody who's not a very smart football player. Um, yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you know, that's what Jordan Hicks is, is, you know, for all the athleticism that Michael Kendricks has and all of the acclaim, um, you know, and predictions of, of greatness that, that have accompanied him throughout his career you know, if you aren't in the right spot where you're supposed to be at the right yeah. time, all of that athleticism doesn't mean anything. Um, that's right. And that's what, 
uh, Billy Davis seemed to be saying, and, and it's what you see out of Michael Kendrick is for all of those highlight real plays you see, um, you know, there's, if you notice a lot of the big plays that, that the Eagles got gashed on um, over the last few years, you'll see Michael Kendricks over pursuing, uh, filling the yeah. wrong gap, uh, you know, running around the block instead of running through a block. Um, and he can't cover. And, and that's the amazing yeah. thing to me that they're ed- heading into a season with him as their primary coverage linebacker. Um, he just can't do it. Um, no. And it's that, that to me is, is going to be, I mean, there's a reason why the Andy Reid offense is predicated, it, you know, features relies so heavily on running backs and tight ends because you can get such great matchups against NFL linebackers exactly. with them. And, exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, that to me is like the, the big unheralded concern on this team is, is the linebacking core. No, I, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. And, and what David said was very revealing. It was, like you said, it kind of confirmed what we had seen all year. And like, oh, okay, the defensive coordinator sees it too. And what can you do about it? You know, go back and watch that Week 16 game against the Redskins where, you know, the middle of the field is open all the time. Um, you know, and it's, it's like, oh, okay. You know, it's you go back to that old um, Jim Moore clip, you know, screaming at the media of, look, you don't know and you'll never know. And... Well, sometimes I feel that's true. There are times like this where Billy Davis kind of confirms what we've seen all along. It's like, yeah, not so much. Sometimes this game is a little simpler than than you coaches make it out to be. Right, and, and I mean, yeah. this does not mean that Billy Davis was <laughs> was not a no, fault for some. Him, of, no, it doesn't, doesn't make, make him a good defensive coordinator. Or, or anything, yeah. Right, uh, but yeah. So what? Uh, I think we're coming up here on on a relatively lengthy show. Um, Jonathan Tannenwald is over here watching soccer. Is, is Tannenwald asleep? No, he's watching soccer on his I, I'm, iPad. I'm not asleep. I'm oh, watching. I'm I'm I got one eye on the Olympics and one eye on the uh, on the recording here, which is at about okay. an hour and a half. That's point. about the uh, that's about the level of effort we're looking for out of you. Okay. <laughs> one eye, well, look, one eye on one eye on your tablet and, and one uh, eye on your job. We'll dive back in next week. Come on, JT. Here's my question: For my Is anybody company. besides Jonathan going to be watching the Olympics? Do, do you uh, watch the Olympics? Do you enjoy that? My wife loves the Olympics. Your wife does. Do you? Uh, I like some of the Olympics. It's I'll weird. watch the basketball. I'll watch some of the track and field, some of the swimming. Uh, you can have the gymnastics. Uh, you can have much, most everything else. Those are my big three, track and field, swimming, basketball. It's weird because I, I'm usually – in the Summer Olympics, I, I, I'm usually at least somewhat intrigued. But this year, I don't know if it's because – I, I don't know why, but I'm just not. I think it's because it's such a. Sh- I, I think because of the socioeconomics of it, I just like a, they they disgust me so much. Um, yeah. That it's like hard yeah. to reward Brazil with p- paying attention to them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like like just this yeah. whole the yeah. whole. It's just amazing to me. We all know we all know the depth and breadth of the corruption now. So like why are yeah. we bothering? At least I kind of feel that way. I think that's that. exactly what I think that's exactly why I'm just not. And then, I mean, then you've got guys like Rory McIlroy not playing and the whole Zika virus thing. And you just look at it and you're like, you're like, man, like, are we, are we the problem? Are we the one, like, we're the ones watching this, you know, are we, are we the reason yeah. why Brazil is, is spending all this money on a games it clearly cannot afford? Um, you know, are, you know, are we the ones who are, I mean, think about from NBC's perspective. I mean, they're not going to like be showing cut. Sh- they're not going to open up, you know, their coverage with, with, with cut shots of the, f- of, trash can fires in the favelas you know they're gonna they're gonna open it up with like it's a great marketing vehicle for brazil but it's a great marketing vehicle for the elite of brazil um you know who who 
the few who get to enjoy this country the way we're going to see it on television while, you know, the rest of the country just like wallows in, in misery, you know, and it, it, I don't know, it just feels kind of, uh, it's like, yeah, but that's what the Olympics are now is the same thing in Sochi, you know, Putin makes sure, make sure of that, um, you know, same thing in China and Beijing, um, you know, that's, that's, we're on a run with this and, you know, the way things are. I guess it's, I, I guess it's that at least Russia and China, uh, yeah, probably because of their state-controlled media, but but they actually like attempted to cover up the fact that <laughs> that their economies yeah. were in disarray and that they probably shouldn't be hosting the Olympics right now. Whereas like Brazil, it's just yeah. like right there for you to see. I mean, the president's being yeah. impeached. Well, for, one of these things, Brazil, China, and Russia, is not like the other. Uh, yeah, but, what do you mean? Brazil's a democracy, right? That's why it has not been covered up to the right. You're right. And China were. Look, I, yeah. I, yeah, sure. I am an Olympics junkie. I am a former rower in high You're school. You're weird. Even You're I also weird. Like it Can we just get that out so there? So I'll watch. I'll watch the rowing and I'll watch the archery. And in the winter, I watch the speed skating. You know, and curling and other you know the off the board things. You know what I mean? Oh my god! But the, I would love to the, see your room growing up, like the posters that you had on your wall. <laughs> the like, did you have like a Greg right. Lamond poster on your wall? I had Dilbert cartoons. This has gone on long enough. We don't. I don't want to know anything about John's room as a kid. Yeah. Look, the, the, but. I do watch the Olympics in part because some of the athletes involved with the U.S. women's soccer team I cover a lot. But I watched and I cover we're, the track because they come here every year for the pen relays. But I, I'm an Olympics junkie. I make no bones about that. And if I'm in the minority, then so be it. But here's, here's another thing, though. And I, and I think about this just from looking at soccer <laughs> and how much soccer that I've, I've watched over the last couple of years. Zero. Like, no, I, I, I've, I, I watched the Messi. Like, if Messi played in every soccer game, I'd watch every soccer game. Um, but like we're so exposed to international sports now. Um, I mean, like soccer, like the Olympics is like the fourth or fifth like thing, you know, like, like yeah, they would yeah. rather win Euros. They would rather win yeah, the World Copa, Cup. They would rather win Copa, you know, yeah. uh, maybe they wouldn't rather win yeah. Copa, but they would rather win all these things. They, you know, like basketball, it's been like that for, you know, again, like how, how are you yeah. going to get excited for Olympic basketball when you come off that, that great NBA finals we just watched? Um, you know, and then I think honestly, like the steroid, like the steroids, um, you know, as as un as unoffended as I am morally by by people who take steroids, you know, like I think that's like cut into to the allure of some of the track and field stuff. You know, um, I don't oh, know it, the f- the fact that like watching Justin Gatlin come back to the pen relays after he was a star mm. in high school and college and all that is bewildering to me. The fact that he's now leading the U.S. track team again it's bewildering to me. Yeah, but with the with the Russians, I mean, look, part of it is. The IOC isn't going to punish the Russians. We know it. And at this point, all you can do is hope that the people who do things right win the medals. Well, if Trump, when Trump's president, will punish. Well, I mean, I'll leave that. I'll leave baby. that to you and Mike. I'm staying out of that matter. I mean, Obama. You got to keep in mind we have the uh, wussy in chief in the uh, Oval Office, right? I mean, it, that's right. The Russians will be lining up to piss test for us when Donald Trump is president. <laughs> right. All right. All right. Let's let's end it there, there boys. See you next week.